Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 214, World Building with Royalty, an interview with Rachel Hauk, coming to you on Thursday, October 8th, 2020. I'm very excited to have Rachel here with us because she's done a lot of teaching over the years and she's a tremendous writer. She's had one of her books made into a movie. She has got a lot of great information to tell us and I don't want to um, keep you from that. So we are going to make the introduction really short. I just wanted to remind you if you've been thinking about asking me some questions or joining the Finish Your Book Intensive Group coaching program that starts October 19th, then be sure and reach out to me. You can find me on Facebook Messenger, uh, Twitter, though I'll just warn you, I don't check that as often. So you might have to send me a message there once or twice to get my attention, or you can just send me an email, kitty at kittybuholtz.com. I would love to talk to you and see whether or not my program will help you get your book finished faster out into the world where who knows? you might change someone's life and wouldn't that be exciting? So now we are going to get straight to our interview with Rachel. I hope that you find lots of great information. I personally feel like I can say, I know you will because it was a great interview and be sure to apply some of it in your writing this week. All right, here's Rachel. Today's guest is Rachel Hauk. Rachel is a New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author, writing from sunny Central Florida. A Rita finalist and winner of Romantic Times Inspirational Novel of the Year and Career Achievement Award, she writes vivid characters dealing with real-life issues. Her book, Once Upon a Prince, was made into an original Hallmark movie. Her novel, The Wedding Dress, has been optioned for film by Brainpower Studio. She loves to hear from readers, and she loves to encourage new writers. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yay, it's so fun to have you. <laughs> I've you. known of you and heard your voice talking about things and teaching things for, oh, at least two years now. I mean, that's when oh, I wow. specifically remember hearing you be part of, um, uh, sorry, Novel Academy, Susie Mae Warren. Yeah, um, Susie Mae Warren's Novel Academy, My Book Therapy. Yes. My Book Therapy, there you go. I was like, My Novel Academy. No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've I've heard you talk a lot, even though you didn't know it. <laughs> well, it's good to meet you. It's been really fun. Everybody doesn't know, but we've already been talking for an hour. So yeah. like we're friends now, you know, <laughs> we're, right. we're tight. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, and it's been so much fun. There's so much that I want you to be able to share with the audience because you have a ton of experience, so many books. Um, I'm trying to remember. I did count and then I lost count. I, I don't mean, know. I think oh, I'm yeah. always off by one. I think I'm around 30. Let's just yeah. say that. I'm yeah. 30-ish. That sounds right. 30-ish. Yeah. <laughs> if somebody wants to count and give me an exact number, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Until your next book comes out and then you'll forget, right? <laughs> I know, really. I'm always off by one. One year ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers, did pins for however many books you had. And so I just proudly marched up there and got my 25 book pin. And then I came home and I'm like, oh, I only have 24. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm, I, I'm investing in my future. That's right. I believe in me. <laughs> I believe in me. There will be 25. Right. <laughs> That's funny. So, nice. Yeah. I was like, darn. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, let's just give readers a little bit of a nutshell. Uh, who are you? How did you start? Were you three? Were you 29? Tell us a little bit about your, your, yes, your backstory. Yes, I was three. I was three, actually. Yes, that's true. That's um, true. No, I guess actually, you were at some point three, right? I was <laughs> yeah. actually three, but I actually, believe it or not, started writing when I was six in nice. a little diary um, back in the day. For those of you who are, you know, older than 50 or 40, they had those little <laughs> diaries that had a little lock on them. You had a little tiny key, and then they had three, three dates on each page. And I had a little one of those diaries and I actually wrote in it, like, what does a six-year-old have going on? <laughs> and I remember specifically uh, that we went to the grocery store and I couldn't spell because. So I wrote, today we went to the store uh, for we needed food. So I was already <laughs> kind of editing myself and writing, you know, I need a substitute word here. I don't know how to spell it. And nice. so, so I, from fourth grade on, I kept a diary. Um, a pivotal thing for me in my writing journey was my father 
read a poem that I had written in the, I think, fourth grade. And he said to me, you're a writer, Rachel, be a writer. And he was just impressed by my poem that I wrote. And it was a good poem. I don't know where it's at. It was about uh, Santa Claus, I think. Oh, wow. But, uh, or Christmas. And I wrote one about, I remember one about um, the seasons and winter, summer, spring, or fall. I like spring best of all, you know, <laughs> I'm 10, right? But, right. Um, and I, write, I wrote a pony story when I was 10, a girl on her pony. And I had a little neighborhood girlfriend and she and I had a writing studio. And it, but we also had a Weight Walker studio and we also had a school. We had all kinds of things. She's a, real, <laughs> she's a realtor now. I don't think we ever sold realty in our little basement um, goings. But That's so funny. my father would always encourage me to be a writer. And then I, I had diaries and journals all the way up through my thirties. And now I keep prayer journals more, more than an emotional journey, more of just kind of a thought prayer journal and sometimes story notes and stuff. Um, so, but I went off to Ohio state. I lived in Florida, I went off to Ohio state and I was going to major in journalism, but I wasn't sure if I, I wanted, I kind of wanted, thought I wanted to be a teacher cause I thought it'd be fun to have summers off. Uh, but I also have a business head. So I was kind of like, do I, do I want to be a bit, what am I? Whoa. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> My, I was talking to my dad and he said, Rachel, be a writer. You're a writer. So he just really kind of spoke and prophesied into my life. And I would tell people, and I loved Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I thought I wanted to write the modern Laura Ingalls Wilder books, but yeah. and I really didn't have kind of a pioneer journey <laughs> as a kid. I don't know what that story would be. But um, I uh, would tell people I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to write children's books. Little did I know that they're much, much harder to write than adult books. And then I had professors and people along the way, I had a professor in junior college who again read some poetic thing that I had written for a literary magazine. And she said, hey, she actually wanted me to start writing Harlequin romances. And this is like early 80s, oh, right? Wow. She, she told me, Rachel, you, you're, be a writer, you can do this. And then when I was at Ohio State, I took this class for magazine writers. And if any of you have taken a literary or a writing class in college, you'll get this. So it was on a Thursday night for three hours. And it was in the spring quarter. We were on quarters then, which, and I was in a sorority. And so spring was like party down. Of course, so was fall because it was football season, but <laughs> right, right. You know, winter was the only time we hold up and did some work. And so I, so we would, I had to go to this class, but we were having a cookout with a fraternity or something. I'm like, I got to go to class. So, and we, he was a Kiplinger fellow. So we had to like go to his house. It wasn't even on campus. So I uh, wasn't that far, I don't think. But, um, so I had to, we had to each write a story, one long, two short, two mediums or three shorts. So I uh -huh. chose two mediums. And so we go to class, it's my turn. In those days we had to print them out early. We had to typewrite them on typewriters. I was a horrible typist, you know, I mean, all the odds were against me. I'm just stacking the deck here. <laughs> yeah. And you had to get it done in time and I'm a last minute one and you put it in the boxes for everyone to read. So we go to class and we go through the first guy's story. We go through the second guy's story. I don't know how many we went through, but then we go on a break there's 20 minutes left and I'm the only one left that hasn't had their story publicly humiliated and reviewed. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> right. And I'm like in knots. I mean, this is torture. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm like, after this break, I'm not going back in that there was enough in me that I wanted to know, I suppose. So I wrote a story about how when we lived in South Florida, I would drive to school with my brother and uh, South Florida back in that time was pretty much farms and orange groves and, you know, very, very rural in some, in some ways. Uh -huh. So my brother and he had this 69 Barracuda and it had a hole <laughs> over the exhaust. And I had to ride in the hatchback while his friends got to the seats. Cause I was the only girl among all of the, our age group. And yeah. so they would, they would do uh, donuts in every dusty field and grove they could find and not hit a tree and you know they would bash mailbox sorry federal government i mean you know it, it was just like this and so i wrote a story about it that yeah. i didn't want to ride the bus there's a specific reason why i didn't want to ride the, the bus because anyway so i wrote this story and so the professor goes in and he looks at me and he's like well do you know what you did and i'm like no and he goes <laughs> through and he picks all the symbolism and all the metaphor and he just like raves about it and then he goes if you figure out how you did that you can make it as a writer and then he goes here's a grammatical point but that's for everybody he would have cut the story naturally we always do too much a yeah. page earlier because uh the ending didn't really fit and uh he goes yeah this was great and the rest of the class is like Hey, like, <laughs> yeah. 
they're all writing these navel gazing, emotional, like why is there air kind of stories. And I'm yes. writing about riding in the back of a 69 Barracuda sucking exhaust fumes. Yeah. <laughs> and um, they just, what, what, what's, what's the market for this? And so anyway, they hated it. He loved it. Who cares what they think? So <laughs> I had those moments along the way that kind of told me. And then I got married. I, I did go into the corporate world, traveled the world. And then I got married and a year in, um, uh, I just was praying one day and the Lord said to me, quit your job. And unbeknownst to me, my husband was feeling the same tug and we had just bought a desktop computer. And I was reading World War II novels and Christian fiction at that time was exploding. And there was Zondervan family bookstores were huge. And you would just, there would be a wall of fiction, which sadly you can't find anymore. But um, I started writing a World War II novel and that's how I, <laughs> that's how I got started. Ended up back in the corporate world, started going to some conferences, started doing the networking thing, which is so critical. So I say that to authors that are out there that are new, old, whatever, the networking is really important because I believe, honestly, I, I wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for two people in particular, a woman named Lynn Coleman, who said, why don't you write with me? And that's how I wrote my first little heart song romances, which I absolutely did not want to write. They were too sweet, too nice beneath me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up writing heart song romances. I wrote three of them. And uh, then I because of the conference and I joined American Christian fiction writers. And then at the conference, I met an editor who worked for Harlequin and they were starting a chiclet line, which chiclet at that point was kind of big, Bridget Jones diaries and uh, Kristen Billerbeck's what a girl wants had come out. It was really successful. And I found my voice with chiclet. And so I sat with this woman at lunch and she said to herself, if she writes like she talks, I'm buying her book. And she bought George on her mind. And so that, got me in. So that was through an agent. So I got an, so it's all kind of hand in, uh, whatever hand in glove kind of thing that yeah. I got an agent. I, I met editors, I build relationships. And so, um, yeah, it's, it was an investment. It's always an investment. Like, and I know it's hard on some families because you have children at home or you have limited income, but yeah. wherever, if you can get to a local conference, if you can get to a regional conference, start meeting people and start meeting authors because we want to help you. We really, really, truly do. And let me say this to you. Editors want new material. They want new meat. They want new authors. And there's this kind of idea that, well, that I'm not published. They don't want me. Yeah, they do. They're looking for a good story. Give them a good story. They won't care where you've been before. They don't care if you've not written before, if you give them a good story. Um, It may impact how much they marketing they spend on you, but they want to give you a chance. And even if you have low sales numbers from a previous publisher, tell a good story. There's an author now that my publisher picked up and I know from the past that her numbers at another publisher weren't that great, but they picked up a totally different genre. She's not even writing what she wrote in the past, but she's using her name in the Christian market with a totally different genre, totally different publisher. And they're just rebooting her because she told a great story and because she's a great author. So, um, so that's kind of how I got started and uh, just, quit my job in 2004 and have been writing full-time ever since. Nice. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, and now, um, you said 2004, so it's 16 years, 16 years. Mm-hmm. and we know that it's over 25 books cause we know about the, the 25 <laughs> book pin. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I think I'm close to 30 now. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, and your most recent one came out in August. You said two this year to love a prince came out in August. And yes, if we're you're holding not up to watching love a on, yeah, if you're not watching on uh, YouTube, that is the most beautiful cover. Yeah, it's gorgeous, isn't it? I yeah. love this cover. And also in February, I had a book come out called Fifth Avenue Story Society. And I'm holding that up. It's now, gorgeous is that cover part of the well. series? I had it in my mind it was. This is not part of a series. This is standalone. And um, for those of you who have read me in the past, you know I write split time, part historical, part contemporary story that meet in the end and how they, the past and the future kind of help and present help each other. But um, this one is a, just a contemporary standalone. Five people get a mysterious invitation to go to the Fifth Avenue Story Society. And it's really how our stories, not the stories on the shelves, but our stories as we help tell each other, help us heal and move on in life. Nice. So there is a character. So in the, I wrote a book called The Writing Desk. And in The Writing Desk, there's a character named Tinley Roth. She's the heroine. She has a, um, a relative, a great-great-grandfather who was this famous, kind of a Mark Twain kind of heroic American author nice. and named Gordon Phipps Roth. 
that storyline picks up here in the Fifth Avenue Story Society. So uh, we find out in the writing desk something about Gordon. And then one of the characters here, Jet, is a literary professor and Gordon is his hero. And Jet comes to the truth about Gordon for his own life. And so that's, that's part of that story. There's also a character named Prince Augustus, Prince Gus. Is in um, that book. Yes, and he, he, this is his story. To love a prince is his story. Yeah. So a um, poor guy got left at the altar by the character Coral Winthrop in this book. Because I thought, what happened if Meghan Markle hadn't shown up? Right? Because <laughs> yeah. there was so much drama before her wedding with her father and everything. Like, what if she freaked out and goes, I can't do it. So, um, so I had Coral leave Prince Gus at the, off at the altar. And then that was really kind of a unique journey how um, how. I came upon why she did. And then I thought, poor Gus, he needs his own story. So, and people were asking me for more royal stories. And so this is Prince Gus's story, To Love a Prince. And then this is a true blue, blue royal. And then his brother has a story. And then they have a secret sister that they find out about. And she has a story. So uh-huh. to save a king and to wear or win a crown, still playing with the titles. Yeah. So that's, uh, at this point, that series will be a trilogy. Yes, at this point, it will be a trilogy, although there's a character in the book I'm writing now to save a king named Amani. She's 16. She might have a story. <laughs> nice. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I have to say, one of the questions that I was wondering when I was, uh, you know, getting ready for your interview was, so, Prince Harry, the real guy from England, was there some ripped from the headlines inspiration here? <laughs> you know, the royal family always inspires me. That's how I wrote the first uh, Royal Wedding Series, Once Upon a Prince, uh, Princess Ever After, How to Catch a Prince, and then A Royal Christmas Wedding. And um, I, but what's funny was, I just thought Kate was so poised and beautiful on her wedding day and confident. I thought, yeah, the royals are back on the American scene. I knew they would be back since Diana died. We hadn't talked much about them. Yeah. So that was, I, that was just a business decision. You know, let's just go with something I think is going to be popular, which they are on the cover of all the, you know, grocery store checkout magazines. Yeah. Um, but what's funny is I've written stuff and after I've written it, it's happened. You know, so I'll come up with a scenario and the real Royals will do something or I'll think of a scenario and go, no. And then, you know, they'll do something and I'm like, well, that's fine. I'll go ahead and do it. So they're either following me or confirming me. I don't know which, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you, Windsors. You know what? Let's go with, you are such a good writer that when you think about the motivations and conflicts, you're really good at figuring out, well, if this is the motivation, this is probably what will end up happening. Right. But (laughs) truth is, it's true. Truth is stranger than fiction. What you, there's just nothing crazy you can think of just about that doesn't happen somewhere in real life that's even crazier. Yeah. Like I, to, to be honest, I would have never, ever guessed that the, Harry and Meghan would have left the royal family. That's exactly never, what I was thinking. Yeah. Ever. It definitely so, sounds like something out of a novel. It, yeah, but it gives me fodder. It gives me stuff to play with. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have in the beginning of this story, Prince Gus is living in Florida near me um, and serving working at a tiki bar and on a private beach and trying to hide from the world. He's got a beard and super long hair. And, you know, he's just, he's just hiding. And then he quinkadinkily meets somebody that he knew as a child on the same beach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when he hits her in the head with a Frisbee and, and it begins and he knows he has to go home because his brother's getting married. And it's anyway. So yeah, just kind of like, th- that seems like such a dink. It's happened. You know, yeah. I've had those kind of odd quinkadink coincidences in my life yeah. where I just ran into somebody, ran into this guy that I like from college out of the blue. That's funny. And in, in uh, Macon, Georgia, like how are we both in Macon, Georgia? <laughs> yeah. Right. And he didn't live in Macon and I didn't live in Macon either. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. All right. So you have a ton of royalty books and a ton of wedding themed books. Um, and some of them have really done very well. Like one of them is a movie one of them might become a movie. So tell us, is this partially um, because you just love royalty and weddings and that sort of thing, or also how much of it is a very good marketing strategy, which you kind of hinted at a little. Yes. Um, Romance itself is a marketing strategy. I don't think I set out to be a romance writer. It just is where I kind of landed. And I I don't know that I thought about being a contemporary kind of literary um, writer. 
Um, it, it seemed too much for me, like I'm not that good. But at, but, at, but at the same time, I've learned some of those craft techniques. And so I do have a little bit of a literary voice. But I think it just ended up where I wanted to sell books. I wanted to write novels. And I wanted to do this for my career. And romance is the number one genre. I joined Romance Writers America. At the time, it was American Christian Romance Writers. We changed to fiction writers when I was president. And um, it just seemed like that's where my heart was. And, you know, whenever you're starting out, they always say, well, write down the things that you love or write down the things that make you happy or write down the things that you, the movies you like, the television shows you like. And I love rom-coms. I mean, I'm there for a rom-com. I just saw the poster of the proposal movie with Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds. And I said, that's going to be great. And it was, <laughs> you know, I just, it's one of my favorite movies. And so I, I like heart stories and, um, I also like family settings. Like one of my favorite shows is Frasier. I love Downton Abbey. I've watched it so many times. I'm almost sick of it. I just, <laughs> I, I love going into a familiar place like Cheers. That's why we all love Cheers. I mean, you think of the longest running television shows, MASH, Cheers, Friends, Frasier. It's all because they had that family, everybody knows your name kind of thing. And so even when I create a lot of my towns and characters, I very much create, we all know each other. It's very rare for me to even create a hero and heroine that don't know each other. I am this time because it's what the story called for, but most of the time they hook up with somebody that they already know. So um, I just kind of fell into it. And when I was writing the, I wrote the low country books because books said in the American low country, which is South Carolina and Georgia, those are big sellers like Ann River Sidden, uh, Mary Kay Andrews, Mary Alice Monroe, Pat Conroy, Cassandra King. These are all low country writers, you know, very popular. And it's a literary place like the Northwest is a literary setting. So I, I chose that purposefully. So I do think there's some branding and marketing. And, and you have to know, like, if I'm going to brand myself in the romance genre, or I call it the love story genre, then I'm going to have to stick to it. Yeah. And find something that I love about it and I can't jump all over the place. And, you know, can I someday write something different? Probably like John Christian wrote the painted house um, because in, in skipping Christmas, because he was able to, he's got the following and people trust his, his writing and trust his yeah. storytelling. Uh, so then I read um, Susan Meisner's shape of mercy. And it was the first notable split time. I may have read it before, but didn't record with me. So I, mm -hmm. I was like, I love this split time thing. I love kind of marrying the past and the present for the future <laughs> together. And so when I had to write the wedding dress, I decided this is what I'm going to try to do. And so, so that's how I kind of branched out into split time, which now is kind of a sub genre of the romance genre. It's so funny that you said that because um, if I knew that a lot of your books were split time, I, I just forgot about it. But last week's author is a debut author named Amanda Cox, whose thing is split time. And again, it wasn't necessarily her first draft kind of story, but that's how it ended up. And it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it really is a fun way to tell stories. And I think previously we've used flashbacks to do that. So when I wrote a series of books right. with country artist, Sarah Evans, she loved flashbacks. So I incorporated flashbacks into the story, which was a huge opportunity for me to just expand my craft and figure out how do flashbacks work? What's the point of a flashback? Why is a flashback different than split time? So yeah. uh, flashbacks are just kind of snippets for those of you out there who want to know. You're just kind of snippets. Maybe someone is in the conversation, they have a memory and you take us back so we can kind of, be emotionally connected to the memory because it's part of the character's story. Um, a split time is you're actually in a different time. It has its own arc, its own set of characters. Uh, you're, the split time, the past does not interact with the present until towards the end. And then there's some kind of either a letter or someone old, you know, the person who's in the past is super old now and they come on the scene and they can connect the character to the, to the truth. So, um, but it actually has to have its own, it's basically like two stories in one and then you marry them in the past. Yeah. So. Which, um, I mean, it's fun to read, but it sounds like, wow, what a lot of work. I mean, basically, like you said, writing two, two stories, but only getting one book. <laughs> right. It is. But you know, all stories have those layers and, and I wrote Chicklet, which was first person, present tense, single point of view. And yeah. I'm telling you that can be difficult because you can't go to anybody else. Nobody yeah. else is telling the story. Only Caroline or only Elle or only Joy. Well, Joy was um, not uh, that way, but Joy was actually a romance. But uh, 
it's hard to stay in one person's point of view the whole time. So uh, you ache for someone else to walk on the stage <laughs> and sh share this story. So with split time, yeah, you do have to be careful. And one of the things about split time is, uh, I would say to anybody interested in writing it, you're count on a hundred thousand words. Yeah. You, you're not going to, the wedding dress I think was 97, but as, as I got going, I just, in order to tell the story well, I really think you need about 100,000 words. Uh, I think the Fifth Avenue Story Society was came in at 113,000 words. Wow. And I turned it in twice at 80,000 words. Wow. I really thought I was writing this fun, you know, to the point literary novel, you know, short. And my editor, I think she was about to cut my head off because I actually apologized to her. I said, you know what? I don't know what I was thinking, but I was not in the right space. And and I had a 25,000 words in a month to get it there. So I'm happy with it. But it, I, I just wasn't emotionally connecting because I was thinking I'm going to make a short story. Yeah. I was determined not to write 100,000 words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I would just say, you know, sign up for at least 100,000 words, you know, around there if you're going to write split time. Because you have to marry the stories together. And you have to tell hero and heroine of both the past and the present. Right. You know, um, that is a, uh, not the perfect segue, but it's a good segue into one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about, uh, world building for once, uh, for part of the reason why I was like, oh, that reminds me of what we were going to talk about, uh, yes. because you have to build two different worlds in a split time, but also yeah. your royalty world, you have to build basically an unknown fictional yes. land with kings and princes and princesses, right? Yes, yes. So, so w jump in wherever you think is a good place to start talking about world building. Well, let me talk about the split time world building. So, um, if you're if you're creating a small town, which I did for a couple of them, I have a heart, town called Hartspin, Tennessee, which I'm using over and over and over. It's built. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to use it. Nice. And, and guys, I mentioned characters from other books in my current books. So like somebody might say, oh, I was reading an article about Princess Susanna or Queen Susanna. I don't, I, maybe I haven't promoted her to queen yet. You know, so I might say that in the Fifth Avenue Story Society, I was reading about Princess Regina over in the Grand Duchy of Hessenburg. These are all made up stuff, but I make them feel real because they're real to my story world. So I think have fun with that, like reference characters from other books. Um, and because That's I write- a great a lot, idea. And I do write stories with celebrities. So, uh, or, you know, kind of famous people. I have that in a couple of, books that it's a little bit easier but you can always have someone be a cousin of someone from a previous book you can just i would have fun with that and That's readers true. love it yeah so with hearts i just created a quintessential southern town small town think stars hollow from uh, gilmore girls or any kind of small town just get that small town feel i've lived in lots of small towns in my life so i kind of know what that feels like and you want to create your quirky characters but you want to have your, your main street. You want to have, you want to be able to describe it. So you're going to have a park. You're going to have a, the bakery. You're going to have the grocery. You're going to have the bank. You're going to have the diner. You're going to have the, the football or the basketball, whatever sport you like, you know, the high school that everybody went to. So uh, the mayor that everybody knows, you're going to have the, or the quirky librarian or the quirky old lady in town who tells everybody what to do. So, you know, you want to create that world because it create, it, it's a character within and of itself. So you really want to plan that through and you want to think about how they might relate to the larger town. So Hearts Bend's near Nashville. So I use it as a country music. So I have quite a few stories set around country music and I wrote with a country music singer. So I kind of do um, everybody in Hearts Bend, uh, Nashville people like celebrities or music row people live in Hearts Bend. So yeah, it's this small town and somebody might live in a trailer, but they're going to sit down at the diner with the guy who produced, you know, Tim McGraw's album or whoever, you know, so I have a character named Buck Matthews from the wedding dress Christmas. He was a big superstar and he's right there in town with everybody else. Hey, Buck, what's up? You know, so, um, <laughs> so he's just one of the towns. And so I think that makes the reader feel like they're part of the town. Cause remember in a book, a book is the only entertainment venue where the reader actually gets to be a part of the story. They can actually insert themselves into the story and they can be friends with the characters too. So keep that in mind as you're writing, like draw them in so they can see and feel, don't use too much purple prose, so they can see and feel what the characters are seeing and feeling. Make them want to be one of the characters. Like I want to go into Ella's diner and sit down and have a milkshake and french fries with Buck and his wife, Jojo. Yeah. So. Um, so that's one, that's a, and so that's our world here. If you're creating a new world, like a new country, which I did with the Royal Wedding series and I did with here, um, the True Blue Royals, um, 
I created a country called Locked in Land because I wanted to stay away from the quintessential fake country Ovia, Mordovia. Yeah, and Ovia. Yeah. Anything with the, eh, they changed in the Royal Wedding series for it was Brighton Kingdom. But the director of the movie was from England, and I think he didn't want to reference Brighton in England. Yeah. So he changed the name to Cambria. So we have another ah uh, kind of story. And I'm like, I'm getting away from that. I want something that sounds, which I did with the Grand Duchy of Hessenberg. I wanted something that sounded a little bit more guttural, uh, English slash German. So I went with um, Locked in Land. And oh, so by the way, there's a fantasy name generator. Just Google it. Yes. And run it through. And get your names, get your cities, get your family names. You, super helpful to kind of just spark some ideas. And that's where I got the name Locked in Land. I think I just went through that fantasy name generator that's and I awesome. thought, I can work with that Locked in Land. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's got that kind of, you know, Germanic sort of feel sound. It has a, it. Yeah, exactly. And it's right there in the North Sea. So uh, to all you out there, the North Sea is now very crowded with three of my countries when it actually has nothing in it. <laughs> which is right, islands there. <laughs> yeah, right, which is right near where Kitty lives, um, That's right. actually. So <laughs> I, I also, when I was developing this, I tried to bring in a little bit of a sw Swedish influence. And nice. so I, one of my characters' name is Edric, which has a little bit of that sound to it. Um, but as time went on, I just kind of had to pare it down a little bit. So it wasn't as, and it's harder to, with the Swedish sounding words and the Swedish spellings. Um, but yeah. there's a guy named Tafram Bork. And oh yeah, I saw um, that. Yeah. So he's kind of some of that influence in the story. So, um, I think one of the things that I caught myself with when I was writing the first Royal Wedding series is I had this country and I realized it was, I was using World War One as a catalyst for this country to have a what an intel. If you watch Downton Abbey, you know it's kind of a legal binding agreement that these two little countries, Hessenburg and Brighton, were entailed together. And after 99 years, they were going to separate if Hessenburg had a royal person to come and take over, um, if they could find their Grand Duchess. And of course, after 100 years, you almost can't. So. Anyway, so when I was creating the history, I had to build Brighton into the world history. Um, I had to fit it with Germany. Where did it fit with Germany? Where did it fit with Russia and England? World War One, because that was kind of the backdrop of some of their history. And um, so their king had to be, back in the day, a cousin of um, oh, King George and Kaiser Wilhelm. And the Tsar Nicholas the second, they all had to be cousins. They were all cousins. And yeah. so my guy had to be right in there with them. So I had to think about how I'm going to put them on the stage in world history. What was the part they were playing? How were they divided between Germany and England? And which way did they go? And why did they go that way? And, and there was a huge German influence on Hessenburg, but Hessenburg wanted to go with Brighton and Brighton was tied with England. And so now that was, I could, you can build all of that and have super fun with it. Here's the trick. When your characters start talking about it, it has to be that they already know it. Yeah. So what I found, I was writing, so when, when Susanna's asking Nathaniel about, oh, where's Brighton Kingdom? Oh, yeah. And he's like, well, you know about this intel we have, see? And he's explaining it. And I'm like, no, she should already know it. She should already know it by world history. And so I had to go back and revamp that dialogue and realize that um, it needed to be conversational like if we were to say you know england's queen elizabeth you know i don't go hey did you know england has this queen her name's elizabeth and her dad died and that's why and her uncle abdicated i wouldn't say all of that i would we would talk about it as if we knew it right. and so that was one of the things in writing the story itself i would advise you is make sure your characters already know and if you find that you're explaining to the characters then you don't know so now, so that's what happened to me. I'm like, I don't know the history of this country. I don't know how it's laid out in world history. So I had to go back and do that. So the conversation was more organic. Natural. Yeah, yeah. Or natural, yeah. And so the other thing you want to do is you want to create super fun places for people to go to. So with Brighton Kingdom, I created kind of a Dickens um, feel because it was, uh, I just wanted that old world feel, you know, some of the thatched roofs alongside of very modern feel. Um, so um, and I created castles and palaces and things like that. But in, in Locked in Land, um, I created this town called Dalham. And it's actually a hamlet. It has Old Dalham and New Dalham. Old Dalham is Dickens. So, you know, it's the thatched roof shops. It's the old homes. It's right on the quay, which is by the North Sea. So there's a North Sea channel that's there now that's not there really. And then there was New, which was they were into technology. So they were kind of a European te technological country. They were making advancements. So you have all these 
fancy buildings on this side and the young people were buying up the homes and fixing them up. But there was this big cliff and the, I created this thing called the hand of God because the wind had eroded out this, basically the seat and the rocks look like fingers. If you're not on YouTube, you can't see it, but I'm holding up my palm and my fingers. And, um, so I thought this is going to be this magical place and it's very perilous to climb up. So for me, I took some of that idea from Song of Solomon chapter two, verse 14 and 15, but, um, it was just this magical kind of place. And I created this castle called Hadsby and it's a magical kind of place. So you want to create some of those traditions and some of those feelings so that the reader feels like there's a, with royal books, you have to have a little bit of what I call magic, that little bit of that fairy tale dust on the story. So, um, you know, and I always have a supernatural character, you know, people that appear out of nowhere. <laughs> and so this character, they have a book named Emmanuel and this book story called, uh, and he's a carpenter the carpenter Emmanuel. <laughs> it helps the prince. Um, and I brought in the character Adelaide, who was in How to Catch a Prince to help the heroine along her journey. So, so there's always kind of be the fairy godmother character if you're writing royals or the fairy godfather character. So um, yeah, you just kind of want to invite the reader into that magical little world. Nice. So what do you think are some of the... Um likely because one of the other things that uh that i know you for is that you've done tons of um classes and groups and things you like you as far as i can tell you've taught a lot as well taught writers writing things yeah so as um somebody who's doing a ton of writing and also working with other people what would you say are some of the places to watch out for when you're world building the places that are you're likely to trip up if you aren't thinking i need to be careful here well, yeah, one of them is, is that you're, you end up explaining the world to the reader, you know, like the, you, like the characters are explaining it to each other. If you find yourself doing that, you've got to back up. Um, I think being cliche, yeah, you know, just falling into the cliches of it and, and um, making it all sound a little bit the same. So like if you're writing in the South, but you're not from the South, it's real easy to fall into the cliches, you know, in, and there are cliches and you want some of those cliches, but let those be the external character is not your main character. Right. Uh, let them be a little bit more universal. They have to appeal to a lot of people. We want the people in the Northeast to love our character as much as the people in the South. So, um, so I think those are some of the cliches that you can fall into. Um, and just kind of really, I would say, avoid, uh, resist the urge to explain, the rue rule, right? Resist the urge to explain. So I feel like that's probably uh, one of the main things yeah. And have fun, be creative. I actually had a map made for this book, um, for the Lockton Land, and nice. I put it in the book. Yeah, I saw it at the beginning of the Kindle. I yeah. was like, nice. I nice. love yeah. maps. <laughs> and I want to say um, thank you to Barbara on Etsy and thank you to Denise Hunter because she had one made. And I was like, hey, where'd you do that? So um, she told me her source, and I went and had one made. It was well worth it. I mean, uh, that and the audio reader had me so excited about this book. I'm like, I can't wait for everybody to have this book. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to have to also ask you because um, one of my series, I'm like, this needs a map. And it's based on, you know, a real life place where I grew up. And so I'm using the Google map um, and then I'm drawing in, a, you know, a ton more businesses and changing things around a little bit. So it's fun. I like yeah. making maps. I'll, I'll hook you up with Barbara on Etsy. Excellent. I did have, um, I'm doing, uh, with, through Sunrise Publishing, which is founded by our mutual friend, Susie Mae Warren, she is doing a series set in my town, Hearts Bend in Tennessee. Oh, and wow. so we're, we're introducing some new writers to you guys in 2022. And uh, one of them asked recently, is there a map? And I'm like, oop, I have to have one made. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but... So the other thing I was wondering, um, because uh, I'm a huge Hallmark fan, so I've seen, uh, there's a meme, there was a meme, it was probably a year ago, um, and of course I had to love it and share it, but it was something like um, Hallmark movies uh, all have the same kinds of heroes, yep, the same kinds of heroines, yep, the same kinds of stories, yep, the same kinds of happy endings, yep, I love all Hallmark movies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, I don't and care. the this problem is, is yeah. and the problem is, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't understand. What, what are you saying? Um, so, however, when I'm reading, I'm always wondering, like, how did somebody create their, um, the rules of their royalty world, you know, and is everybody mm. creating like really similar rules? Because mm. so much of it to me sounds very much, um, 
I don't know. I, I don't want to offend anybody by my lack of, by my ignorance without realizing they did a ton of work. That's not what I mean. But, um, but it, it does sound a lot like um, British royalty as opposed to, I, I didn't know until I moved to Sweden that we have royalty. And you have royalty. Mm -hmm. next, no, next door, Denmark, they have royalty. And in fact, they're, they're quite, they're quite the Diana and well, not Diana. They're quite the, um, William and William Kate, and of, Kate. Yeah. Yeah. Of, of Denmark. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. oh, wow, there's a lot of I, people. I think there's royalty in Norway as well, is there not? Uh, Maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I probably. Belgium yeah. has, Belgium has uh, royalty. Uh, Spain has, so Germany has royalty. They just don't have yeah. a place. In fact, there was a story a couple of days ago about the G German prince wanting his castle back. So they're, they, they just got deposed after World War One. So, yeah, yeah. but they still are technically princes yeah. and princesses. Um, so Anyway, so is all of it a lot more similar that maybe the average reader just doesn't know? And as Americans, we just are more familiar with British, but they're actually really similar anyway. And they are very similar anyway. <laughs> and I think we go with British because it's one, the language is the same. Like I yeah. can't have um, Swedish royalty because I can't write anything in Swedish. <laughs> yeah. So, and, but we know them so well. I mean, I, I think they're kind of the, Brit the British royalty are a subculture for us. And so either you love them or you hate them, but they're accessible. So if you're reading a royal book and you go, hey, I'm going to go listen to some British accent. I'm going to go listen to hear how the queen talks or how Kate talks. You can go do that. And so I think that that's why they have more of a British feel. And yeah. I just think the British accent we just seem to go, makes everything more sophisticated. Yeah, you know that's it, not it true. Does. As Americans, it does. Yeah. <laughs> right. But it would be a little bit odd, I guess, if he was speaking English with a Swedish accent. But you, I mean, you could do that. It's just, that's, we have a common language. So that's why that's going to be. The second thing is, um, you can make up any royal rules that you want. So I used uh, the British royals to kind of have my base, but I definitely stole from Sweden and Denmark on, and I other countries on how they manage royals, some of the rules of the royals and some of the protocols of the royals. And then once you get going, you can just make up your royals however you want. So I wanted to have, I like my royals to be more working royals. I want them to have things to do besides charity, although um, that's largely their job just to represent and, and be patrons and stuff. So um, all of my guys usually are either on sports or in the military. And then, but this queen, um, part of the royalty's job in Lochtenland is to be a part of the court system. So she actually sits on the Supreme Court. So all of the crown princes and princesses have to go to law school. Wow. So, because um, what we don't know is there's no written constitution in England. The queen is the constitution. So that's what a constitutional monarchy is. So they, they have a lot of the same laws and rules that we do, but there's, she's it. She's like a living, literally a living constitution. That's so, interesting. Right. And so I thought, well, if she's the living constitution, then, and she tries as her best she can to be unbiased and tries to go by the rule of law or the rule of tradition or whatever, however their laws have been set out, then she's it. So she, she's it. So, so the crown prince or the crown princess is it the next time. So I decided, I know that's not what happens in, in most royal countries, but it's what's going to happen in my royal country. <laughs> yeah. I, I want her to have something to do and I want her to have a part of the people. And it actually really worked um, in the first story and it's working so far. So, you know, so in that case, you can just kind of make up any royal rules that you want, but also kind of ground it in the way some of the true royal houses across Europe work. Yeah. And so probably um, based on that last uh, comment, probably when you're trying to figure out, you know, if you're the cousin or you're the this or the this, that's how you figure out who's a duke or an earl or a duchess or a countess or that sort of yeah, thing. That kind of use the same framework. Yes, as the Dowager Countess um, on Downton Abbey said, yeah. oh, you can't apply logic to British peerage. So there's, <laughs> you can't, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like what a Duke, an Earl, it's a Duke, Marquis, Earl, Baron. Well, I, what? And you know, you're an <laughs> uncle, you're a lady, you're not a lady, you're a sir, then you're, if you're, your wife's a lady, if you're, well, I don't know what that all means. <laughs> yeah. um, it's kind of convoluted, but um, and I don't know, to be honest, why why the princes have to be also dukes. I don't know. It's, right. It seems to me like I would rather be a princess or a prince. But <laughs> and, and technically speaking, Kate is not a princess. She is HRH, Her Royal Highness Duchess of Cambridge. Yeah. She is not a princess. Which is... She, oh, go ahead. 
because she was not a lady when she married William. She was right, a commoner. Right, she had no right. title. So she didn't have a title to promote from. Diana was Lady Diana Spencer. So when she married Prince Charles, she got to be princess, her, her royal highness, Princess Diana. Yeah. So there you go. That nice. was for free. All right. Uh, you know, it's always good to get some free information. <laughs> that's right. But, but so for my, if you're making up a royal family, you can do whatever you want. The good thing is like when I wrote a royal Christmas wedding, I had a Prince Colin, who's a cousin of Nathaniel, who became the king, but he was not an HRH. Princess Eugenie and Princess Beatrice, Prince Andrew's daughters are not HRHs. They're not her royal highness. So they're just princes. And then Edward, Edward's children, the queen's youngest son, don't have prince or princess titles at all. He's count something and she's lady. So they didn't even give them royal titles at all. So there you go. Wow. And you're talking about the real people at this point. I'm not talking the... about the real people. Yes. Yeah. I'm talking about the real people. And wow. so, and then um, Archie, Harry's son has no royal title. Princess um, Anne's children wow, the have no title. The prince's son doesn't have a royal title. No, they did not. They did not want a title for him. His name is Archie Harrison Windsor, I Mountbat. They did the Mountbatten Windsor, so they right. included his grandfather's name. But yeah, no, wow. no royal title. Now, when Charles becomes king, they can name him if they want to. So yeah, do whatever you want. Have fun yeah. with it, you know. But the best part is because you can make up whatever you want, because apparently that's what they do in real life. You can <laughs> use that. You can use that to mess up your story. So my story, my my crown prince, which means he's the heir. He uh, finds out he has an older sibling that he didn't know about. So now the politics of Lockton Land are going, well, that's the heir, which he's yeah. raised in America. She doesn't care anything about it. She doesn't know anything about it. Now that, that destroys his whole identity. I'm playing with that. That that's probably awesome. would not ever happen if we found out that a queen had a secret child, secret yeah. love child. But why not? Right? So yeah, it's fiction, people. I like this. This sounds so much more fun and way less stressful than, um, cause I played around with it for, for a little bit, just for fun. Sure, um, but then absolutely. I was, I tried to figure out what the rules were and what the rules I was supposed to know about that other writers knew about. And I thought that there must be something. And I actually started stressing more than I, when the stress o overtook the fun by too much of a margin, I was like, okay, I'm just going to yeah, this no, <laughs> Yeah. Go back at it. So Melissa Tag has a book out one, uh, one Royal Christmas. I think that's the name of it. One Royal Christmas. It's a little novella. And recent, it, right now, if you've, it's 99 cents. So go to, if it's not 99 cents, it'd be like a dollar 99 or two ninety nine. Well worth your money. Yeah. yeah. She had a, she had a Royal story where the Prince wanted to get away for like a month or two. And in that month or two, he technically had to abdicate and his brother was in charge. And I was like, huh? All right, let's go with it. I mean, cause people, laws people make up stupid laws you know so oh, yeah there's weird laws on the books and so they had a law that said if he was gone for any period of time then somebody else was in charge so <laughs> that totally worked for her story and it was believable so you can do whatever you want to do yeah all right you know i i that you already made the book sound so interesting along with yours so that's <laughs> melissa tag t-a-g melissa tag t-a-g uh, one royal christmas yeah awesome she's a talented author she's very fun yeah well, and also, you know what, we're getting on towards Christmas season. So as soon as somebody says Christmas in the name of a book, I need to at least check it out. <laughs> oh, oh, I should have my book, uh, The Wedding Dress Christmas. Here it is. I'm pretending yeah. to hold it up. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so and when it did, will be yeah. on sale. Oh, well, go there ahead. you go. No, I was going to ask you, um, which series is that related to? Is that the it Brightons is, or the Lockton Land? The Wedding Dress Christmas is related to the wedding book. So the wedding dress, oh, the wedding right, chapel, the, the wedding shop. And now the wedding dress Christmas, it's set in Hearts Bend. Wedding dress is set in Birmingham, but then I moved the dress to Hearts Bend ah. with um, the wedding shop. So the wedding chapel doesn't have the dress in it, but the wedding shop does, the wedding dress Christmas does. And perhaps to save a king, we'll have the wedding dress in it. We'll see. So I'm just keeping <laughs> that little, so that's another thing for writers. If you have a, an item, you can pass through the story. And you know, when I wrote the wedding dress, I thought one and done. I wasn't gonna write any more wedding books. And I wasn't going to oh, write really? any more. I was not going to write any more split time. I'm done. I'm moving on. What else can I do? Yeah. And uh, I happened upon the royal wedding. The royal wedding happened. So I wrote that. And I was coming back around uh, to my next contract. And they were like, Rachel, don't you have any more of those wedding books? And I'm like, no. And I was on vacation in Tennessee. And I drove by this chapel in the Glen. And I said, the wedding chapel. Called my publisher. She said, 
done, do it. <laughs> and by the time I got back to my cabin, I had an email from the, all the team going, I mean, that's all I gave them, the wedding chapel. And they're like, we're, we're in, go, do it. We love it, go. So I had to come up with a story and I kind of had to come up with something different. Not everybody who got married, but everybody who didn't get married. In the oh wedding yeah, chapel. yeah. So it was a wedding chapel that had zero weddings. So <laughs> that's awesome. That's the other thing I would advise you guys. I call it turning the story upside down. Anybody that I've worked with or mentored, they'll be like, oh yeah, Rachel, she takes our idea and she turns it upside down because you want to see what's on the other side. And I know for me, when I'm stuck or bored or I feel like it's feeling cliche or ordinary, I go, I'm going to flip this upside down. What's on the other side? And a lot of times there's your story. Yeah. There's your story. You know, we expect weddings in the wedding chapel, right? Right. How How about if there's none? Yeah. That's hard. Now, what are they? Why? What's the story of the wedding chapel? And that's what I had to come up with and make it believable. So, yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's a great idea, too. And one that, of course, I would expect you to come up with when you've written like so many dozen books. (laughs) (laughs) I need to figure out how to be like more interested myself in the story, make it not the same. Well, and I think that's what you do is you, you just turn it upside down. I remember I was writing one of the books with Sarah Evans and I had a it was the second in the series. So you're kind of familiar and, and you, you like it uh, better because you kind of, I love that. One thing about a series is you get familiar with your world and your characters. And so, you know, if you've invented, invented a world by books two, three, four, and five, you're just right in there. And it's slow in the beginning when you're creating a world. Book one was hard. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so um, I had, it was two women. It was more women's fiction. And so I had the main character, Jade, and she's with her mother-in-law. And when they go home to her mother-in-law's house, rich family, Southern lawyers, you know, old firm, walks in on her husband with another woman. And her reaction is like, not in my home, rebel, not in my home. And Jade's like, huh? Like that, what? Like what kind of react? He was a perpetual adulterer. So, so I'm riding along and I'm getting bored guys. I'm like, what's, what's happening here with June? I'm starting to write in circles. When you feel like you're writing in circles, something needs to happen. Yeah. So I put her in a golf cart. And I made her go down this, and I, it was Whisper Hollow, so it was a small town outside of Chattanooga, so I made it up. She's driving down their main street, and she's throwing Rebel's things out of the cart, and she's got a bullhorn, and she's like, hey, there you fancy, here's Rebel's shirt, I know you like him. Hey, here, Betty Sue, here's his gold cufflinks, did you have fun with him last year when you had an affair? And she's outing all of the women in town who he's had an affair with. Wow. And she's just throwing his expensive designer stuff, his shoes and everything out, and reading her bullhorn, and then Jade, Jade comes out, and she's like, oh my gosh, she's lost her lid, you know, she's flipped. Yeah. And so it was a crazy scene, one of the best scenes in the book. Like, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do that. But let's make June do that. So like, what do you do when you're pushed to the limits? Like, and because she walked in on him and that was the last straw, right? And so she sees her son happily married, which, you know, he's got a secret himself. But you know what I mean? It's like, I had motivation for her to do that. She had it. And she was tired of being humiliated. Yeah. Nice. You know, it's funny. I just heard somebody the other day and it might have been, um, Big Magic Elizabeth Gilbert um, saying something about when you when you get somebody to the place where or it might have been this really cool short book that I've been reading by audio um, Bindi. Uh, it's like I'm pretty sure uh, the character is from a country in Africa because of the way that she describes everything. Uh, but she goes to outer space to go to university. And I'm like, I got to read this book. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's crazy. I love it. Uh, yeah, moon, yeah. Moon you. I'm, where do you go? I go to moon you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of those two books, I've been listening to both of them on audiobook. One of them says, um, when, you, when you push somebody to the point where they think they have nothing to, lo- to lose, you have no idea what they'll do next. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Ooh, I like and, it. And you know, that is a great fiction point. That's a great storytelling point. And we mostly don't like to do that. We don't right. like confrontation. I've yeah. worked with so many writers where like, I'm like, your characters are boring. What's happening here? <laughs> I don't, I don't want, they don't want, they're so worried they're not going to be nice that they, they basically go, would you like tea? Yes, I would like tea. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I don't care about their tea. If they're yeah. having tea, I want, I want subtext. It's because yeah. she's actually sitting across from the woman who had an affair with her husband, but that woman doesn't know she knows. Right. That's what I want, you know? And so yeah. I, I do think you have to push your character to the limit to where they'll do anything 
to get out of it or to make it happen or, or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, when you were talking about turning the story upside down, um, I'm a huge fan of the Netflix TV show, Stranger Things. Oh, my and, husband loves that too. <laughs> on the surface, you know, it's uh, the 80s, kids growing up, um, boys who are friends playing D&D in the basement, single mom and, you know, the single sheriff and the, it, it's, it's pretty normal life. But because of the upside down, which is, you know, where all the aliens and everything are, that's why there's a story. It's because of yes. the upside down. <laughs> and it works because the main stage is so normal. Right. Uh, but then you go to the backstage or, the, you know, you bring, that, you bring the alien story forward and you're like, what? what? And that's, that's why it works. If this world was weird, you, you wouldn't, that would, so what? Yeah. You know? So that's great juxtaposition. Yeah. And um, I have to say, oh, sorry. No, you're right. Uh, Go ahead. In um, To Love a Prince, like my first thought was a prince doesn't just, can't run away from home. And, it, and it's, this is like the second book probably that I was reading, you know, the prince ran away for a year or whatever. And then I'm thinking, but they do, they do in real life. And that is why I'm willing and able to believe it. But say if this storyline had come out during Princess Diana's time, I would be like, no way, this would never in a million years happen. And maybe it wouldn't have, except for to cause a huge scandal. You know, like um, I'm not as familiar with all of the royalty as you probably are from research, but I know that there were some scandals with um, princesses that did things that they weren't supposed to do, um, you know, in the age of maybe, uh, I don't know, our mothers or our aunts yes. or something like that. Oh, sure. But I'll tell you why, even... And why, so if you motivate anything, you can make anything seem real. So one of the things that worked for me to love a prince, cause I'm very much on, does this feel real? Is it motivated? Even in the, even though I'm creating a fantastical world and it's all hyperbole, um, it does it have motivation. And can I point to anywhere in history where maybe this has happened? And one of the things I loved about this is he gets left at the altar and there is nowhere in history that I can find any prince ever being left at the altar. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Because yeah. he's among all the kings of all the earth. He's the only one ever left at the altar. I'm like, like man, this is crushing. Yeah. So I, I really, and, and that was why part of the reason why he left. But why it worked for me also was he was not the crown prince. He's the spare. So, right. I mean, look at what Harry's done. He's, yeah. he's not needed. He's not needed. He doesn't feel needed. He feels like he's better used somewhere else. He's got a wife that's got an agenda and has got motivation and has got things that they want to do together. And so, so, you know, I don't know that I would have done that, but that's what they did for, for them. So you can find anything anywhere, but even going back in history, uh, King Edward VIII or David was the heir and he left for a skinny American divorcee, Wallace Simpson. Yeah. And so so you're like, what? <laughs> so, so why not? Can my guy run away for a year? Right. Yeah. Whether he's a crown prince or not. So there's always something, um, you know, and what you don't know is every, the story is that he left with her because he loved her, which I believe that he did. And the church, because he was quote head of the church of England, he couldn't marry someone who was divorced. The real reality is, is they were Nazi sympathizers. And so or they were a little more friendly with Hitler than Friendlier England than, was comfortable with. Yeah. Right. And so they, and they were praising Hitler's army and they were praising what Hitler was doing. And uh, the prime minister Chamberlain at the time was like, mm. and you know, when you watch the King's speech, he says to um, Albert, sir, if he does this, you won't have a government. So, and, and that's a constitutional crisis for them. That means they yeah. have no government. All the government is formed in the queen or king's name. Yeah. So he, they were basically saying, we will be England without a government if he marries this woman. But really the truth was, if he keeps fraternizing with, with Hitler, we're leaving. And yeah. you're not going to have a government and you're going to have to form one. Yeah. So, so that was, you know, really interesting history. So even, even yeah. that's interesting. Like, what do you mean there won't be a government? You know, or... Uh, if you watch Downton Abbey, it still works this way. We thought their, the liberals were gonna making their agenda and they're fighting for the women's right to vote. And they were like, uh, we might have an election. You might have an election? Like, don't you know when you're gonna have an election? We know <laughs> when we're gonna have an election. So yeah. you can just make stuff up because it's out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, excellent. Good points, uh, especially anything that is even tangentially related to, to real life. You know, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to remember you're writing fiction. You can make it up so long as it 
works in the story and it's believable and yes so to that i would say always make sure your character has a motivation they should never i was reading a book recently by a, a new author but and everything that the characters decided to do i could tell was being decided by the author to advance the story yes and i'm yeah. like no that what it was we call the push pull susie warren and i call it the push pull what's pushing them towards that decision and what's pulling them either towards or away the from the decision. So you can't just decide, I'm going to get up today and go to the store. I mean, you and I do that because we need groceries. Your character needs to do that because there's another reason behind it. You know, they want to see the cute stock boy. You know, th there's something, you have to have that push. They, the characters cannot just decide. So I couldn't have just had, hey, you know what? I'm going to take a year off and go serve beer at a tiki bar on the beach, which by the way, he never drank. Um, I'm never, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go do that family. See ya. So I know yeah. with Harry and Megan's story, there's layers that we don't know about. That's just private right. for them and the family. But, but what I did was his art was broken twice in a row. He was publicly humiliated. Only prince in history that everybody knew I've ever been left adulterer. The kid had a right to run away. He'd yeah. had enough. And so motivated. You have to motivate it. Perfect. I love it. Oh my gosh. There's so much more that we wanted to talk about. I think that we need to schedule a second interview because we also were going to talk about traditional and independent publishing of we which were. you've done both. So let's bring you back on the show. I would we'll love talk to talk about Kitty. that. <laughs> In the meantime, so many great books, so little time. Where can people find you and all of your books? Yep. Check me out at rachelhauck.com. That's R-A-C-H-E-L-H-A-U-C-K. RachelHauk.com. It's the same name, Rachel Hauk, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, although I'm not there very much. Um, but you'll find me a lot on Instagram and Facebook. So I'd love to connect with you guys there. Please sign up for my newsletter called Stay Inspired um, because I send things out in the newsletter that I don't send out anywhere else. And this is really the greatest way to uh, be in touch with me. And when you go to my website, it just pops up and you can sign up. I only send once a month, so you're not going to get a ton of stuff from me. Um, I'm respectful of your inbox. Uh, but I also have. Um, movie, The Wedding Dress, I mean, The Wedding Shop and The March Bride are, are books that are optioned for movies as well. So I'll be keeping you guys up to date on that stuff as well as The Wedding Dress. So love to connect you there. I also tell you about other books and other authors and, um, you know, throwback pictures from when I had long, super long hair. So, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Great. Rachel, thank you so much for giving us so much of your time and enthusiasm you, Kitty. and so many great ideas. Thank you. It's fabulous. I'm happy to be here. <laughs>